Self-worth is the unlock. I'm sick and tired of running out of water all the time. I need to find a way to make the most of every drop of water in this rig. And that caused me to pause because I was like, well, if I had the answer to that question, how do I, how do I make the most of every drop of water? That answer could probably change the world. Welcome to the Self-Care Savage podcast. A self-care savage is a term that I've coined that combines elements of self-care in a more assertive and bold approach to taking care of oneself and growing their self-worth. On the Self-Care Savage podcast, we will explore how self-care and self-worth are always in the driver's seat in all parts of our lives and how we act and react to life. Okay, on today's episode, we've got Jonathan Ballesteros. He's the inventor, founder, and CEO of Geyser Systems. Prior to starting Geyser System, Jonathan was a global product manager for Stryker, neurovascular and engineering project manager at Smith and Nephew. Jonathan loves exploring through a global perspective and organizing outdoor expeditions. He's ascended Mount Rainier, Mount Superior, and Mount Sinai. He obtained his master yacht license and captained over 3,500 nautical miles through the British Virgin, Thailand, and Greek islands. He explored 23 countries and lived in five. And Jonathan has an awesome story about dealing with some of his own mental health issues that have come up through his life, which has led him into incorporating uh, a culture into his business, which uh, we'll learn more about as we talk to him. Okay, so we have a, an amazing guest uh, for the show, which again is going to touch on a lot of things we're talking about now, social media, mental health, how those things are a little bit connected, but uh, some backstory around um, uh, this particular person, Jonathan uh, Ballesteros. So what we're, so we're going to do, Jonathan, welcome to the show, first of all. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. If you would, uh, again, and Jonathan has a, has a company called Geyser Systems, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that which is what kind of where we, we found out about Jonathan, which aligns with a lot about what I do in the outdoors and overlanding and things like that. So give us a little backstory um, about you, where you come from a little bit, maybe just, you know, shortly growing up a, a, a little bit and uh, leading up to uh, what I think, you know, you shared with us was a crisis point in your life. Okay. Yeah, sure. So on a more personal level, um, you know, I'm the son of an immigrant family. My family on my mother's side all came from Soviet Union. They were refugees. Um, my father from Spain, which at the time was torn by civil war. Um, and uh, yeah, grew up primarily in Texas. Um, as one could imagine, having two international parents, my brother and I, we, uh, we, we had the opportunity to really explore the world which was something that my parents loved to do. So despite the fact that we grew up in Texas, we also had a very global perspective and uh, that looked like living abroad. And um, what, what, what every, no matter what, I mean, no matter which country we went to, and I'm telling you, we had some really wild adventures. Um, 
you know, we always came back home feeling grateful for the freedoms that we had in the United States. And it's a little bit more vivid and clear when you see what it's like to be in another country. So, I mean, what that looked like to me was just, you know, fully taking advantage of being an American. And so I was just a pretty ambitious kiddo coming from a a set of conditions where I was regularly beaten up and bullied uh, just because I was a little different. So I said, all right, well, if I'm different, I'm going to find a way to make that a good thing. And, um, and so I was ambitious and I just put my butt into high gear and worked really hard. Um, and fast forward through several leadership positions at Texas A&M, uh, top 10 engineering school, uh, getting an opportunity to lead organizations and be a strong leader in companies such as Dell computers, uh, Smith and nephew striker neurovascular developing a whole new set of advanced surgical instruments and approaches to brain surgery, uh, orthopedic procedures, a lot of different stuff. Um, long story short, I, it was at a point where all, all that strength that I developed as a, as a youngster and like, I'm going to be the hardest working person out there. Um, that eventually caught up to me. And so, yeah, I had a dark night of the soul in uh, my thirties and my options were not looking very pretty at the time, but uh, yeah, I was, I was getting into a, a certain level of burnout and depression that really caused me to take a really big turn in my life. Now, uh, for those of you who've never heard of the geyser system before, it's a super efficient way to clean yourself and your gear with less than a gallon of water. You can shower two people with 0.8 gallons of water, which is 10 to 20 times less than other uh, camping showers or ways to clean your dishes and your gear. So, so yeah. So, okay. So leading up to, to things, it, it, it had a lot to do with your ambition and, and again, your, uh, your work ethic and, and, and just, again, you burn out is kind of what you're saying and got, is that what you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, I mean, burnout was one of the things. I also had PTSD and some close calls when I was in um, two different countries in two situations in particular. I I had a couple therapists looking, try to help me out. And after a couple conversations, they were really clear, like, all right, yeah, we're good to go. And I, at the time, had a lot of really outstanding tools and personal development that was something that I always enjoyed. I, I feel like a lot of the growth that I've had was a byproduct of the self-examination and schools of thought that I just dabbled into. And so at, at the later point in my life, for some strange reason, like these events that I thought were fully addressed and the therapist told me, like, I'm good to go, they were just coming back to haunt me. And so it was the combination of burnout, uh, these matters that I thought were addressed, not being addressed. And also a lack of family to support me through my tough time. So, so yeah, that's what was happening. PTSD and dealing with some things like that, you know, are, are, are certainly coming from some traumatic uh, type events. Um, you know, things that are making a significant, some sort of impact on you, usually not in a positive way. I definitely get it. I understand where you come from a little bit and, and, and what you, and you got to this point. And I know the information I have is that you had quit your job and then you just up and I think went, moved to Australia. 
And so let's, if you don't mind, can we kind of get into that a little bit, give a little history of that up? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, like, look, I know there's some parts of the story that are maybe not necessarily relatable, but I think everyone can relate to, um, you know, just being overworked and working in corporate environments that were full of toxic relationships and uh, not having a future that I was necessarily really excited about, you know, like there was, and then, you know, I think like nowadays our society's got not a lot of ways to deal with it. So for me, I mean, at the time when I was raising the flag over my head because I was like drinking a lot more alcohol than I normally would and having a father that's an alcoholic, that was a pretty big flag over my head. And so I was using that as a, as a mechanism and reaching for certain substances that, that uh, allowed me to really escape the, the doldrums that I was in. Um, the other components or alternatives that could help with what I call the dark night of the soul or depression was antidepressant medicine. And I saw a lot of my friends who were doing that. And maybe some of this audience are using that, or maybe you have used those forms of medication. I just looked at that alternative and said, that doesn't work for me. Um, and I saw some friends and where that led. And I was like, I'm not really sure if that's a good idea for me. And then suicide, which was going to be pretty simple. You know, like that's a pretty simple and effective way to stop the pain. I even uh, called my family and I told them like I needed help. And they were like, you got problems, go fix them. Which was really weird for me because it was like, well, when I was, you know, there for you and you needed a shoulder to cry on and I drove hours just to make sure that you're taken care of. And now like you're in double trouble now because it's like, number one, you're going through a dark space. But number two, your support system is not there for you, especially when you were there for them. And uh, I didn't feel like many of my friends would really understand what I was going through. And I just didn't want to leave a bad impression on them. I always wanted to be an uplifting impression on my friends and people that I was surrounded with at the time. So, so this one day I'll never forget, you know, I was, I was working in San Francisco and uh, I was, as you can imagine with all the traffic and how busy people's lives are, you can't just like spontaneously call a friend and say, Hey, let's grab a drink. Like this is one friend I had to call him. Uh, excuse me. I called him and we agreed we we're going to have a drink, but we had to like plan like a week or two weeks ahead of time. And so we had a plan and, Two weeks go by and drive a couple hours cutting lanes in my motorcycle just to get to the other side of the Bay Area and I show up at this at this bar and I and I just told him straight up, I'm like, listen, I'm not I'm just gonna own the fact that I'm not showing up in my best form tonight. I'm dealing with some depression and I'm having a hard time shaking it tonight. And I'm just I told you I would be here, so I'm here. Cause I said I would we planned this. I was really looking forward to it, but really like I'm, I'm struggling right now in this very moment. And, uh, Tioma, he, he's like, well, what you got going on? And I didn't really tell him anything even close to the details that I just showed you, but told him I got some PTSD and, you know, like the job and the circumstances I'm navigating right now at work are really stressing me out. And he's like, well, have you heard of ayahuasca? And uh, I never heard of it. So he's like, well, I've heard that that's really helped people with 
mental health issues. You should check that out. So that very night I looked into it next morning, I got accepted by this one gentleman who was hosting ceremonies. And then two weeks later, uh, a trip that I had planned to go to Chile got switched over to Peru. You know, I'm a guy in this, in the Amazon jungle outside of Iquitos after like a two hour boat ride through the Amazon river. And we're in this resort with 30 other people who are dealing with a variety of really intense things, like really like heroin addiction, horrible family situations, abuse, sexual, mental, whatever it is. And, um, I'm sitting down with these people for, for 10 days. We had five ceremonies and that was a huge turning point in my story. Um, you know, and, and in my first ceremony, I had walked in with three things that I needed addressed that were mental health related. And you have to really get it. Like I was, well, I was a clean cut kid. I was sea tracking in a great corporation. They sent me to Stanford biodesign program and Stanford university. I mean, I was like getting an opportunity of a lifetime and, um, and being in the medical device industry, to be in a hospital, you have to be drug tested. So for me to do something like this was like uh, a huge, huge step. I mean, I didn't normally do anything, but I was willing at that time of my life to do anything. Like it was at a time where I was like, if this doesn't work, I really don't know what to do next, you know? And it was after the first ceremony um, when I heard and experienced things um, that I needed somebody to tell me and I needed to experience. And these three matters that I walked in with that I specifically wanted to go to work on were fully addressed. And that was in 20, that was in 2016. I, I, since that they've never um, been an issue. Now, having said that, (laughs) that doesn't mean that the work stopped. But, um, but what happened was, um, you know, at, at, at the next day after every ceremony, you come together, the 30 people that I was doing this, uh, experience with, and, and you talk about like what happened during the ceremony, what happened when you were, uh, under the influence of the ayahuasca tea and, uh, and we got a chance to prepare it and everything. So we knew what we were getting ourselves into ahead of time. Like we had full transparency the entire time, but I'll never forget like the very last, uh, conversation that we had as a group one by one, we're talking about our experience and the topic at hand was like, how are we going to integrate? You know, we had these powerful experiences and how we're going to go back into the world that we came from and, and do something different. I'll never forget what I said to the entire group. I said, well, in order for me to integrate everything I just learned these last 10 days, I have to really disintegrate everything that I'm a part of back home. And what that looked like was doing things that I knew I needed to do to take care of myself. I just didn't have the bravery, the guts. Like all my friends were telling me I needed to take a break from work. I needed to relax. I needed to take a vacation. And I was like responding like, look, I don't run away from my problems or run towards my solutions kind of thing. Um, but I totally saw the wisdom that my friends were trying to give me and went back, told my boss that I've got, you know, six more weeks and 
respectfully resigned. I wanted to complete this project I was a part of that I was really excited about. He was blown away and he's like, who else is going to, you know, who are you going to work for afterwards? I'm like, no one. And he's like, you don't have a job waiting for you? And I'm like, nope, I'm just going to take a break. And it was a, it was really tough. I had this great boss. His two bosses were amazing people to work for. And, and uh, I let all of that go, sold everything I owned, I uh, even the good things, and saved up all this money and hopped across the pond in Australia and decided to just live in the back of a van and trail run, which I know is something that you have to do, and then also um, spearfish and freedive and just be in the water or near water, which is my favorite thing. So that's kind of like where the story, uh, goes different, but I will say like, I got tested big time. Like even after I came back from that amazing experience, it was a lot of things that, um, tested me along the way. Let me just say like the hard work was very far from over, <laughs> um, in terms of mental health. But I think that's a kind of like what that transition really looked like. Yeah. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you can get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash SelfCareSavage. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com slash SelfCareSavage. So uh, a meaningless question over in this overall story. And thanks so much for sharing that. Um, why Australia? Mm, that's not a meaningless question. That's I mean, a what, great one. Did you just get a map out and throw a, throw a dart? Or, I mean, what had that happen? <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good question considering I had lived in Spain for six years, Israel for many months, uh, backpacked Europe, backpacked Vietnam, Thailand, uh, organized sailing trips around the world. I've done over 4,000 nautical miles of really big sailing trips, British Virgin Islands, Thai Islands, Greek Islands. Um, I had a pretty large swath of amazing experiences. And there's a couple of places I haven't been to yet. But but yeah, I, I was in Australia for work one, one week and it was great. And at the time in 2016, I think we all need to remember, it was a really strange time for this country. We had Trump and Hillary running for president. And I remember I was living out of a suitcase, having to be in an airport. You do a lot of people watching. And I remember just like looking around and everyone was just like in this facial expression of apprehension, like neither option was good. You know, like no one was really excited and 
engaging each other. And it's almost like as if we couldn't even talk openly about this big fat elephant in the room. Quite frankly, I didn't feel good about it either. So I was really looking for places to live and call home. And, you know, the Australian people are kind of like the best of the United States and the best of Spain all wrapped up together. Really awesome people with great sense of humor, great work ethic. Um, it's a country that's got a lot of exciting things going on. And as for me, my, for myself, I just love being out in nature and Aussies have a huge, I mean, they have an enthusiasm for being outdoors that is unlike anything out there. And I was like, you know, this could be my home. I want to go over there and see, see for myself. And yeah, no, I applied for dual citizenship. The thing that was holding me back was the fact that I had to take the English exam three times. It's nearly impossible to get a straight A in that. That's a whole other story in and of itself. Um, there's doctors who could only like make a C in that English exam um, that were trying to become citizens. And they were from like Ireland and whatnot. But that's another fun story. Long story short, I was, uh, I was, I went to Australia because I wanted to be outside in nature. I, I wanted to free dive along the coast and spearfish. And I wanted to see if it could be a place to call home and live longer term. In the end, I'm not a dual citizen. I'm an American still. And uh, in the end, it, what was going on in the world turned out the way it turned out. So I, I looking back, I'm kind of glad because um, I was really thinking about Melbourne being the place to call home. And uh, man what they had to undergo during COVID times is kind of freaky geeky. I look back and say, man, I was protected because they were, yeah, they were, uh, they were, they were house arrested. That was insane. Mm -hmm. But that's another fun story all, all together. You know, <laughs> I don't know where, where that's going to go. Well, we could, we could solve though. We could solve some of these later. <laughs> um, yeah. But so um, I was just curious on why you, what you chose Australia. How long were you there? How long was that that process? Yeah, it was I had a one year visa, so I was there for a year with the intention of what they call doing the laps, so driving around the entire country. And uh, six months in, I decided uh, to chase after a problem that really stopped me stopped me in my tracks. Uh, no pun intended, of course. So, <laughs> and and when you talk about some of these these adventures you went on, were most of them solo, or mm. were they? Or were, did, were you with other people or was that part of it or was most of it solo? 90, 85% of it was just me solo in the back of a van. I would look at my topo map and just drive to places where I thought there was going to be a really great view or some, or like the head of, of a junk of land and tell myself, okay, well, that's probably where there could be some good fishing. And so what I did is I just cruised around and just chilled around along the coast. Um, having said that, the vehicle that I ended up buying was a was a troop carrier, a Toyota Land Cruiser troop carrier. And unbeknownst to me, when I bought that, I uh, had no idea I was <laughs> that buying the vehicle also meant that I was a part of a cult. And uh, for the American listeners out there, you know, we can all think about Harley Davidsons and like how strong that 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 tribe is well in australia when you buy a troop carrier you're part of like the harley davison of, of australia now and so um i joined up this facebook group called the troop carriers of australia 
and uh, you know these legends they 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 didn't know this but they were say they saved my life you know and the interactions I had with them going to the Rinner Ramble and you know meeting the ones out in New South Wales it's just just hanging out with them for those brief moments and then sharing with them this idea um, that I had uh, to solve a problem that I think we were all facing. Yeah. They just, just, they just kept my head above water. It was, it was really important and meaningful. And six months in, I, I um, decided to reach out to a friend that I made in Peru during those ceremonies who came all the way from Australia. And on the tail end of that 10 day period of time in the Amazon, he said, listen, when you come to Australia, cause he knew what I was planning to do. It's like, when you come to Australia, here's my number. Just give me a shout. So six months into the trip, gave this guy, Ron, a call. And I said, hey, um, I don't know if you remember me, but, and he's like, mate, I'll remember you. What do you got going on? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm in Melbourne right now. I was like, mate, I'm going to be doing some yoga in 45 minutes. You want to come join? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, come on, come with me. And so <laughs> he introduced me to his family who I at first was like, little reluctant like I met them I loved them but I didn't want them to be around uh, somebody who was depressed like I was so for two weeks I kind of like I popped into their family paddock in their farm and had dinner with them at their dinner table and they were like look you can come back and stay with us as long as you want and I couldn't accept that invitation because I didn't want them to be exposed to just a sad guy so two weeks go by and I came back in and I popped another visit and they were just, just as happy to see me. And they were like, they had some things that needed to get done around the farm and they had some kids that they wanted to have taken care of. And so before you knew it, I was like a helping hand in the farm and babysitting Boomer and Mackie J and, you know, just doing these random chores. And, uh, while I was there, uh, the, the grandfather of the family, his name is Ken, a uh, super close and important friend. He uh, he had this shed with tools and told him what I wanted to create. He's like, dude, go for it. I mean, obviously with an Aussie accent, but but uh, he knew what I was going through because he also had a PTSD and he went all the way up to the Australian Supreme Court and um, made sure that vets who were coming from Vietnam War like him had an adequate level of mental health support. And uh, he wanted to make sure that no one who is a vet ever had to go through what he had to go through. So, I mean, he took it all the way to the Australian Supreme Court to make sure that, you know, people were taken care of. And uh, so he knew a little bit about what I was going through. He kind of, he, he saw it. And so in the back of that shed, you know, he and I would be having coffee and tinkering and having conversations that, Natalie helped me eventually bump into a solution that became a company, but, you know, really just turned around my life. And I'm really grateful for Ken, Ron, Josie, Laney, Boomer, and Mackie J being my Aussie family that uh, I really needed. And of course, can't forget <laughs> Ron's mother. But um, at any rate, all of them just really adopted me and took care of me. And you know, I just... Uh, I really miss him and I love him. So, yeah. 
Go, go Geelong Cats, by the way. I'm a Geelong Cats fan through and through. That being part of that family meant that I had to be a Geelong Cat fan. So, so yeah. What is that? Oh, Geelong Cats. They're like the best footy team. So Aussie rules football is a sport that is like crazy intense. If you haven't checked it out, you got to. But they are uh, this family that I stayed with were in Geelong. And so that meant that, you know, hey, if I was going to be uh, living in Geelong for a while, I'd have to be a Geelong Cats fan. And Ken made sure. I mean, his prosthetic leg had like Geelong Cats embroidered in it. I mean, like he is like <laughs> a Cats fan through and through. And so. So it, so. In Australia, so football is that is that going to be rugby or is that is that still soccer? Mm, as, uh, Aussie rules football is the most intense version. It's as close to rugby as you. It's the closest thing is rugby, but it is a much larger field, way faster, um, a lot more contact, and uh, and uh, it's just a very high endurance game. I mean, the level of athleticism that you have to have. I mean, what do I know? I've never played rugby in my life much. I mean, like, but the, the, but when you see Aussie rules football, it's no joke. Ron, he had a nonprofit um, that was not only national, but also international. And um, when she brought Aussie rules football to people who are dealing with drug addiction um, and use that as a form of uh, medicine to get people together. And so, you know, all these guys who are dealing with drug addiction in Australia, they would get these uniforms and have pizza afterwards and they'd be playing together. And you could, and, you know, like, and then he would take it to India and for people who are dealing with impoverished situations, living in ghettos. I mean, the kids would get to learn this sport and find a way to build teamwork and a level of camaraderie and just forget for a moment what toughness they were going through. Sport. So, Sport, sport is so, Im- so can important. be so important in the med- world of mental health, addiction, any of that. It's a exerting the body, tearing it down, you know, um, mm. testing it is all part of it. That's why I hike. And, and sometimes I'm a, I'm a, the kind of hiker who injures himself quite a bit. I just, you know, it's a big part of it. It's part of, for me, it's part of the healing, the mind, body, and the soul. Mm-hmm. And it, it, when you're, when you're down and getting bloody and, and bruised and, and, you know, with, with guys, I mean, come on, you're going to, uh, <laughs> you're going to have, you're going to have some connection, right? A little bit. Oh yeah. And I, and I actually watched it from the sideline and that was enough connection for me. I mean, what they, Aussie rules football, <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is a lot. This is not American football at all, but that's, that's what it was like. You know, my passage was started alone. And it ended up with a community and a family that, you know, like I'm, I'm just forever grateful. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's all. That's awesome. I mean, and, and, and obviously they were very, again, very supportive around everything you, you had been going through, we're going through and very supportive with, with you, you know, pushing was something that you, you obviously was felt was very important. So maybe that's where it's a good place to kind of move into that a little bit, because I think we're talking about with what you're doing right now, which, it, it, you know, and I know that. So, yeah, let's just uh, let, leave it to you instead of me just speculating, um, you know, talk a, a little bit about the evolution of that. First of all, I get why it was a need 
you know, and, and I think and, and how you probably were what you were doing and living in a van life and moving around. And, you know, you I, I think I can see where that might have spurned from. It could have been something different, but um, maybe where that came from. And so, yeah, lead us into uh, that that barn stuff and, and, you know, start to work on it and then kind of where we're at now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, as one can imagine, living in the back of a van. Um, had its ups and downs. And one of the downsides was, you know, after trail running or after being out in those water spear fishing, you know, I'd come back into my van with a bunch of sweat and grime that would get in my bed sleeping bag. And that always resulted, no matter what the temperature was, a sticky cold night to sleep because it was just, I was never clean. And, um, you know, I think depression is actually what I've learned in that journey after not showering for a couple of weeks is that, you know, depression actually has a certain smell. I actually had the same kind of uh, off-putting smell that most people living or begging in the corner of the streets had. And I can't really explain further than that, but like, um, I was just not showering. I was just not taking care of myself. And Part of it was because I was so down, but another part of it was because, you know, I just didn't have enough water. You know, I always had to have enough water to cook, clean my dishes. But when it came to cleaning myself, there was just not a way to shower. And so the problem got really bad one morning when I was set up on this blind date. <laughs> and uh, on the morning of that blind date, all I had was like, a tiny water bottle left of water and I had a towel and you can imagine I poured it in the towel and wiped, wiped myself off and I still smelled horrible. I mean, it was just like weeks of sweating and grime. And it's just like, it was just like, no, this is not, this is, I, I smell like a burning dumpster. I keep saying that and I keep saying it again. Cause that's exactly what I smelled like. And so that blind date didn't turn out so well. So one could imagine, but, but uh, that morning when I was preparing for it, I was like, you know, I'm sick and tired of running out of water all the time. I need to find a way to make the most of every drop of water in this rig. And that caused me to pause because I was like, well, if I had the answer to that question, how do I, how do I make the most of every drop of water? That answer could probably change the world. Because I mean, let's face it, we got 2.3 billion people who are dealing with extreme water stress situations they don't have free access to water and uh and so with all my heart all my might and all my soul i just went after a chase chased the answer to that question and so when i was in that shed um on that farm ken's shed i just i was possessed (laughs) i would wake up in the middle of the night just run out of the couch, just like, well, maybe if I did this or maybe if I did that. And six months and six rounds of prototyping later, I came and finally achieved uh, an answer to that question that was quite remarkable. The first four rounds of prototyping, by the way, were just so bad that I just like wiped the table clean and just said, I have to find another way. This, all of this sucks. What I meant by that was like I was using a foot pump to create an air pressurized, like dry bag or air pressurized container. And that container or dry bag would just pop every time because I would pump it up too much. And so I was like, this, this sucks. So, so yeah. And, um, 
I introduced it to the troop carriers of Australia. I made a cheesy video and out of nowhere, 160 guys and girls responded. And I was like, whoa, this is something I showed them on a video. Like, this is what I got going on. And I brought it with me to uh, the largest troop carrier event in the year and the entire country called the Winter Ramble. It's like 500 troop carriers or, I don't know, three to 500 people driving troop carriers out in the middle of nowhere and camping out and a lot of drinking, <laughs> a lot of fun though. And uh, I just showed them what I was up to and they were loving it. And I had a whole bunch of orders from that. And uh, I remember driving away from that winter ramble saying, I think I'm onto something here. Now, uh, for those of you who've never heard of the geyser system before, it's a super efficient way to clean yourself and your gear with less than a gallon of water. You can shower two people with 0.8 gallons of water, which is 10 to 20 times less than other uh, camping showers or ways to clean your dishes and your gear. And uh, what makes it remarkably different and how that's achieved is by two things. Number one, you've got a pump that gives you a consistent pressure that's perfect for what you're doing. So if you're cleaning your body, you need a certain pressure. If you're cleaning your dishes, it's another pressure and you can adjust which pressure setting you want with this really simple valve. And then the water coming from the pump is delivered at the end of a hose line. But instead of a shower head that's blasting water everywhere, we make the most of every drop of water by sending it through a sponge. And that sponge is put in your hand and you put it exactly where you want it. So you can directly apply each drop of water and make sure that each drop of water is working for you. And so the combination of perfect pressure with direct dispersion allows 0.8 gallons to last up to 15 minutes of wash time. There's actually people out there who use the product. They're showering two people with 0.8 gallons of water, which is really cool. Or one person with long hair, but long story short, uh, it's a real disruptive, innovative approach uh, to water that's never been done before. And uh, we're currently, our patents have been approved in China, in Israel, South Africa, a, a whole bunch of different countries. Um, and we are currently, you know, making a lot of success in REI. We were picked up three years ago. We're now, we've been in all REI stores. Um, we've been growing quite a bit. Um, in terms of like where this flagship product is, as well as what products we're offering. So we recently launched a new product to make the most of every drop of water in your home. Some people today are reducing their water bills by five to $700 a year, like those living in San Francisco where their water bills are like $150 to $250 a, day, a month. So we, we are currently at the very forefront of making the most water efficient products out there. And yeah, no, it all started from me trying to take care of myself <laughs> and uh, finding uh, some search, like just trying to find some meaning in life and bumped into this thing that just every cell of my body said, I, I have to, I have to, I have to see this. I have to see this. This is why I was put on planet earth is to find the answer to this question. Yeah, I, lo I looked at I looked at your stuff a little bit and, and kind of went through it. First of all, I want to just back up and say, look, I've been full time and on the road over five years now, and I have never been set up on a blind date 
ever. <laughs> so I don't know how that happened for you. So at least you got at least you got you got one uh, uh, set up. I never got I never have gotten any. I think they already knew there was this smell going on before that. But anyways, no, I I think that I think the thing I caught on with with looking um, through through your your product was the fact of the focus being on using the least the the, the least amount of water to be the most efficient. Uh, and 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 look, you know. I'm from Texas. You know, I've been here mostly all my life when I'm, when I, when I'm, when I'm around, um, it's everywhere, especially in the States. There's no appreciation of water here. No, nobody, nobody cares how much water's being used. They just want to make sure it's coming hard and fast and when they want it, uh, uh as fast as they want it. it. You know, if there's water availability, it, you know, it makes it better, but there's no, when you're trying to conserve what you have, there's it, that can be, you know, it's at that part of the equation is what brings a lot of difficulty to having continuous hygiene. You know, the way that, like you said, from sleeping to, to, you know, look, being by yourself, look, I've spent a lot of time by myself and being solo. And those things do have a lot to do with your physical, how you feel about yourself. You know, even walking, by the windshield of one of my, you know, as I'm walking by my truck or something and I'm like, you know, like, Oh my God, you know, you, you just, just, it's, it's a self-esteem thing. It's, you know, feeling, you know, sleeping well and not being sticky and, and not realizing when you wake up all the sand or all the dirt that's all over everywhere. And, you know, it's, you, you start (laughs) realizing you're, you're sleeping in it too. Yeah. I I don't think, I don't think we notice until it's been a couple of weeks since you showered how transformative water is. It's got this transformative power to give you that major reset. Because when you clean yourself, you're washing off not just grime, but you're washing off the past and the and the journey that got you that grime in the first place. And so when you clean yourself, we, we don't realize it because we're doing it every day. But like, there's this... Thing that happens when you get to start fresh and start anew. And I think we all know what that feels like after camping for a couple of days. But I mean, if you can imagine not showering for a couple of weeks, you know, what that can really do. Um, and, and let's just say like for, there's moments when those weeks are, you know, okay, you came back from the bush or from the outback, or whatever. And now you're having to go to Bunnings or you have to go to a grocery store nearby because, Hey, you gotta, you gotta replenish and now you gotta interact with some, some people. And so your self-esteem is, is not there, you know, like your, your, your self-worth is not there. Your, your ability to feel like you can contribute to society is marred by the fact that you smell like crap, you know, or you feel like crap. And it's also people are not helping with that situation too. So you walk in a grocery store, you know, again, uh, you know, hiking for hundreds of miles, thousands of miles and, and coming off trail after a couple of weeks to resupply, walking into a store before you can even get to a shower or whatever and trying to, to do whatever you, um, you're already, in most cases, unless it's a trail friendly town, you know, people are, you know, you're being looked at all those things. So 
I, I, I definitely see the value and, and appreciation to, to what you've got going on and what you do. So let's, it, what, I, what I also want to talk about is mental health is very important to, to your, your company. Again, without speculating a little bit more. So maybe talk about that a little bit, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. what you're doing around that. Well, I mean, first and foremost, you know, I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for my crew. And I love my crew. Like, I, I love, love, love um, everyone here who commits to the mission. We're, we're nine full-time employees strong. Um, and we have a, a goal to have 100 people in our family. Now, I, I used a word, and uh, that's very common and relatable, but I think to take a couple steps back, um, when somebody gets onboarded in, 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 our, in our company, we, we first have to help them distinguish <laughs> a couple of behaviors um, that helps them realize like, well, there's an energy happening here in this company and there's a way that people are working together. And we don't know why, but it feels good and we want more of that. And so we give a lot of these personal professional development tools that I picked up along my journey that really helps us craft and create clean, clear communication with integrity, with compassion, with love, um, with a belief in each other, even when we're having a bad day or a belief in yourself, even when you screwed up um, and a belief in the mission, even in the face of extreme odds, because we, we, we show people that in this company, you will be heard and your words have a lot of power. And so that's something I'm really proud about. I mean, our geyser system is one thing, but we say the proudest thing that we produce is our own people. We really do create each other in a very powerful way. What is it? You've got something going on right now. So you've got something happening right now with the company, with maybe uh, fixing to move the needle a little yeah, bit. So tell yeah, us about yeah, yeah. No, we've uh, so we've seen a lot of great growth. Um, we've seen a lot of success since we've been uh, at all REI stores three years ago. Um, we're uh, developing new products not just for at home, but also providing a shower service for large camping events for event organizers. So we've been showering thousands of people at the Spartan World Championship, Overland Expos, uh, the Teton Overland Show, uh, the All for Fun Jeep Events, Rocky Grass Music Festival. We've been to a lot of great shows and, you know, showing up with these shower stalls that allow you to try the product before you buy it. But most importantly, just keep everyone at the event really feeling happy and clean and making sure that, you know, wife and kids are feeling good. And then hopefully um, we have a fourth division that will be unfolding that is going to be defense and military related as well, because we know that they need to also have a more water efficient system. And so with all that growth, uh, we're going to need some more capital. And so uh, we made the decision literally uh, yesterday, we signed the engagement letter with a third party CPA review of our company to kickstart a community investment round where anyone can invest. Um, so we're going to be on WeFunder real soon. Um, that the, the, the private page will be released sometime next week. And um, we can allow accredited or not accredited uh, investors uh, come in and buy shares with as little as um, we have not established the minimal but it could be somewhere between five to a thousand, five hundred to a thousand dollars. 
and give people an opportunity to have some preferred shares in a company that is not only growing here domestically, but we forecast growing internationally and providing a big difference uh, for people all over the world. So, um, and so, yeah, this is actually my very first time to publicly announce and tell people about it. Yeah, to find out more, you can just follow us on Instagram or our support at Geyser Systems. You can find us out there. Just drop your email on the pop-up that comes up on our website. We're going to be announcing it on our email distribution list real soon. Thank you for listening, and I hope my podcast has helped you in some way taking the path to becoming a self-care savage. Make sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.